Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt Ortiz, and if this is your first time here, I would love it if when we're done here, if you would come up to me, introduce yourself to me so uh, I can get to, get to know you. We're glad uh, that you're, you're here. Also, um, for those of you who know Dale, I want you to be praying for him, man. He, uh, he was off-roading, 25 miles an hour, back wheel locked up. He went flying over his handlebars and broke his collarbone that required surgery that, where he used plates and screws and all kinds of wonderful things. So be praying for, you're, you're doing all right, you're here, so that's, that's, that's good. So uh, make sure you go up to him, encourage him, let him know you're praying for him and, and ask if they need anything, all right? What's that? You don't hug him or pat him on the shoulder or anything like that. Cool. Well, we're glad that, that it wasn't worse, man. So, All right, so we're in a series called uh, Kingdom Parables. And um, Jesus, as you know, would tell these stories, these parables, to communicate what the kingdom of God looked like. And when he t- would tell these stories, uh, a lot of people would get upset. A lot of people wouldn't like his stories, and then a whole other group of people would love these stories, and they endeared um, them to, to Jesus. And in Luke chapter 15, what we see in the context is that, that this chapter starts with a complaint, and then it ends with a total shocker, right? The Pharisees, these religious self-righteous Pharisees, were complaining that that Jesus is welcoming sinners, that he's hanging out with sinners, that he's eating with with sinners. And see, these Pharisees had a a very difficult time with that. They thought that Jesus was sending confused messages, and and, uh, they thought Jesus was condoning their sin, and and they they, they had it out for Jesus. the truth is, is that the Pharisees looked at the world and looked at life through the morality lens. And what I mean is, what they did is, is that they, they divided the world like this, that, that there are good people over here and there are bad people over here. And there are people who keep the rules over here and there are people who break the rules over here. And then, you know, God, of course, rewards the good people and punishes the bad people. So Jesus responds with three parables. Boom, boom, boom. We started this last last week. But what we see here is that the punchline is at the end of this third parable. The younger son comes home and his father throws this huge party to celebrate. But the older son, the, the good son, the one keeping the rules, he gets angry. And he refuses to go into the party to celebrate that the younger son came home. And Jesus is saying that this is not just a parable of the prodigal son. This is a parable of a father who had two sons, a good son and a bad son, an obedient son and a disobedient son. And he's saying his point is they're both lost. They're both lost. Both are alienated from the father. And here's the shocker. At the end of the parable, it is the bad son that comes in, and it's the good son that is outside in the dark. And I'm telling you, Jesus' listeners would have been completely blown away. They would have been mad. They would have been saying, wait, this is not right. This is absolutely wrong. What kind of stupid story is this, Jesus? And Jesus is saying, you got the wrong lens. Jesus is saying, there's another lens. There's a gospel lens. 
The gospel divides the world like this, that God is good and we are not, that God is holy and we are not, that we are all sinners, that every single one of us are alienated from God on our own. We are all lost on our own. Each of us is either a prodigal sinner or a Pharisee sinner. Each of us is either a younger brother or an older brother. And if you're anything like me, you have somehow figured out how to be both, right? Today, we're going to be focusing on the first son. Next week, we'll, we'll um, on the younger son, the first, um, the first one that's mentioned here. Next week, we're going to focus on the older brother. And while we focus on the first lost son, what we want to do is this. We want to address the question, how can we experience the Father's acceptance? How can we experience God's embrace? Because, you know, there, there, is, there is a very real interest in experiencing God. And so the question is, how do you do it? So you're not just going through some religious motions. It's one thing to know that the Father loves you. Yeah, I've heard that before. Tell me something I don't know. It is another thing for us to experience his love, for us to experience his acceptance, for us to experience his embrace. So from the first son, we learn that there are four things involved with experiencing the acceptance and the embrace of our Father. And first of all, if you're taking notes uh, with, the, with the insert in your, in your bulletin, first of all, involves coming to your senses. Verse 17 says of the younger son um, who, who took off that, that he came to himself, or in your translation, it might say that he came to his senses. And, and what does it mean to come to your senses? Well, it, it means becoming sane, right? It means suddenly seeing everything in a whole new way. When the younger son came to his senses, verse 17, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? So what's happening here is that this younger son woke up to the fact that his sin was trying to make a home away from home. And what is home? Well, you know what? Home is not a place. Okay? That's how both sons are away from home. Home is a relationship. Home is where I belong. Home is, is where I'm accepted. And, and you know what? The younger brother was thinking, you know what? If I go out and do all these things, then I'll be accepted. Then I'll be home. Now, we don't know all that the, this younger brother did, this younger son did. We don't know everything. But we do know one thing, thanks to his tattletale older brother. We know he got involved with prostitutes. In verse 30, the older son said, This son of yours devoured your property with prostitutes. Now we all know what he did. But that's not what ultimately matters. What ultimately matters is the sin beneath the sin. What ultimately matters is the younger brother's heart. And the younger brother's heart was, you know what? If I have sex, then I know that I'll be accepted. Or if I am a success on my own, then I, I know that I, I will have value. Or if I find that special person, then I know that, that I'll be accepted by, by someone important to me. He left home to find home. 
But what happened? Verse 13 says, he squandered his property with reckless living. Okay? What does reckless living mean? Reckless living means life that is just out of control. And, and why are our lives out of control? Jesus says it's because whenever you try to get control of life, whenever you try to, to get what you think you need and, and what you want, by going away from God, you end up giving control to other things, and these other things enslave you and rip you off. They have their way with you. See, home is the, the center of your being. It's where you hear your father say, this, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. This is my daughter whom I love and her I am, I am well pleased. And Jesus says that we can hear those same words that the father spoke to him. We hear them at home with the Father. There's an author named uh, Henry Nowen, and he, he um, wrote a book called Return of the Prodigal Son. And listen to what he says. He says, home is the center of my being where I can hear the voice that says, you are my beloved. On you, my favor rests. The same voice that gave life to the first Adam and spoke to Jesus, the second Adam, the same voice that speaks to all children of God and sets them free to live in the midst of dark world while remaining in the light. I have heard that voice. It has spoken to me in the past and continues to speak to me now. It is the never interrupted voice of love speaking from eternity and giving life and love whenever it is heard. When I hear that voice, I know that I am home with God and have nothing to fear. As the beloved of my heavenly Father, I can walk in the valley of darkness. No evil would I fear. As the beloved, I can confront, console, admonish, and encourage without fear of rejection or need for affirmation. As the beloved, I can be tortured and killed without ever having to doubt that the love that is given to me is stronger than death. As the beloved, I am free. I am free to live and give life. Free also to die while giving life. That is the difference faith makes. Faith in a father that you know loves you and accepts you. But if we decide that, you know what, we need to take control, we'll, we'll, we'll run around asking, do you love me? If you try to make, you know, work your home, you ask, do you really love me? And you'll say, and, and work will say, sure, if you work hard and if you produce. If you try to make romance your home, you say, sure, uh, you know, you ask, do you really love me? And it'll say, sure, if, you know, if you're if you're good looking, if you make me feel good. If you try to make family your home and you ask, do you really love me? It'll say, sure, if you raise perfect kids and make them happy. If you try to make the good life your home and you ask, do you really love me? And it'll say, sure, if you have the best and somehow do better. See, how can we tell if we've left home? telling you it's easy because your life's out of control 
And I know what this looks like. I, I mean, I, I experience this. I, you know, I give, when I give control to other things, I experience like a, like a drivenness or, or a guilt or anxiety or anger or depression or, or, or emptiness. But when you're home with the Father, you can handle whatever the world throws at you because you, you know that God the Father, creator of heavens and earth, the one who holds it all together, is pleased with you and accepts you. So this is why the younger brother is starving. He's seeking a home where there is no home. He's seeking life where there is no life. He's not home with the Father. He is not experiencing the Father's acceptance. So here's what I want us to to remember, is that coming to your senses is not just feeling sorry that you messed up. It is seeing everything in a new way. It is coming to understand that, that actually I'm, I'm running away from God. I'm trying to make something other than God my home. So to experience the Father's acceptance, the first thing that will happen is that you'll come to your senses. And then secondly, you'll remember the Father's love. You know what? Some people say that this parable is different than the previous, previous two in this chapter. They say that in this parable, of, of the, that, excuse me, in the previous two parables, in the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, the shepherd and the woman are the ones that take the initiative. But in this parable, God doesn't come after us, but we have to seek him. But that's, that's not what Jesus is getting at here. We need to, what we need to see is that the, the father took the initiative here too. The father loved the son before the repentance. The son's repentance was not the cause of the father's love. The father's love was the cause of the repentance. We see this love in in response to the son's return. The father has been waiting, and he has been watching. And, and it says that he, when he sees his son, verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And what's he do? He jumps off the porch, and he runs to him. Right? This would be totally undignified for a Middle Eastern patriarch. But he gathers up his, his, his robes. He, he cuts through the field, jumps over the hedges and a fence. And when he gets to his son, what's he do? It says that he embraced him and kissed him. And a better translation would read, he kissed him and kissed him and kissed him and kissed him. His father throws his arms around his neck and is weeping tears of great joy. And and he can't stop kissing his son's face. But wait, one second. Do you remember? Do you remember what the son was going to say to his dad? Right? He had this whole speech planned out. Remember? Verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Let me ask you something. When does the father kiss his son? Does the father hug and kiss his son before his son's speech or after his son's speech? It's before, right? The son hasn't even said one word yet, and the father is hugging his guts out and kissing him all over his face. Do you see the point that Jesus is making? 
The son's repentance did not lead to the father's love. The father's love led to the son's repentance. Here's the son, and all the way home, he's worrying, you know, what am I going to say? And, and what's my dad going to do? He's going he's to kill me, right? He's afraid. But it's a lot easier to repent when the father has already thrown his arms around you and, and just, just kissed you all over your face has a big smile on his face. It's a lot easier to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And you know what? The father doesn't even let him finish the part about make me one of your hired servants. Cuts him off, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring, bring the best robe and, and put it on him. Put a, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and, and kill it. Let's have a feast and, and let's celebrate. You know, this ring on his finger um, is the signet ring of sonship. It's a ring that would allow him to act with the full authority of the father. And the sandals, servants, servants didn't wear sandals. Only the, the sons of the master wore sandals. And, and kill the fatted calf. And let's, let's party. Let's have a celebration. And so they celebrate. Now, let me ask you something. Is that how we view most dads would react when a son would take most of the family's money, run off and just blow it on reckless living? Oh, I mean, and, and in our mind, we see dads, you know, standing on the porch with their, their arms crossed and, and, and tapping their foot, right? Oh, it's you. What are you doing here? You decide to come back? Well, you better come on in, get cleaned up, because tomorrow you're going to start working to pay me back what you owe me, right? Neighbor says, hey, your son came back home. That's awesome. Yeah, well, he's just visiting for a little while. But that's not like that here, is it? It's not like that at all. Why? Because the father is filled with joy. I mean, joy that, that flows from a father's love, that, that special love that a father has for his son. And this love cannot be contained. He jumps off the porch and he runs to his son and he throws his arms around him. And Jesus' point is this. It is not enough for you to have a repentant heart. You must also have a father like this. It's not enough to have a repentant heart. You also need a father like this. See, the, the son's repentance is, it's not perfect. There, there are problems with it, like impure motives. His repentance starts with his stomach, which is where it usually starts for me, right? I mean, talk about impure motives. I mean, he, in a wrong lens, he says, Make me a hired hand. You know what he's saying when he says, make me a hired hand? He says, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be like my older brother. I'll try to be good. I'll try harder. I'll try to earn your love. His repentance is filled with imperfections. But that's the point. Even our repentance, is, it doesn't matter how bad we feel. Even our repentance is impure. But here's the, here's the deal. The Father's love is not a result of your perfection. It is a result of our Father's perfection. His love is not a result of your holiness. It's a result of the Father's holiness. 
So you must have a father like this. No other lens gives you a God of grace like this. The morality lens limits God to a boss, to a taskmaster. Only the gospel gives you a father who loves you so much that he hugs you and kisses you before your speech, before your shower. I mean, he's coming back from a a famine. What do you think he looked like? I mean, he was knee-deep in a pig pen. What do you think he smelled like? In the first service, somebody yelled out, bacon. (laughs) That's way better, but that's not what he smelled like. And this father's love overcomes all of that, and he kisses him all over his grimy, stinky, filthy face. Listen, I'm telling you this morning, it does not matter how dirty you are. It does not matter how dirty of a prodigal you are. It does not matter how dirty of a Pharisee you are. The Father loves you. And and, and the Father... uh, You have no idea. You have no idea how much the Father loves you. You hear it so often in church. You hear it so often, I don't know, bumper stickers, t-shirts, or whatever, that maybe we just kind of dismiss it. The Father loves you. He loves his children. This is what is involved in experiencing the Father's acceptance. First, you'll come to your senses that you're running away from God, and then you'll remember his love. And third, you will understand the cost. This is critical. Now, how, how do you think Jesus' um, listeners would have responded to this story? I mean, everybody in the crowd, these Pharisees, what they're thinking is, is something is missing. I mean, if that father really believed in the God that we believe in, you know, he would take this young man to the temple and make, make a, a sin offering. There's a cost for sin. There must be a payment for forgiveness. That, that's why we make people pay in our worship services. But there's no payment for sin here, they say. Therefore, this Jesus who tells this story is soft on sin. Or at least sending a confusing message. But that's not the case. Jesus clearly indicates that there's a cost. It's just not what they were looking for. Did you see it? When the father brings in the younger son, is it really free? No, it's not. The the younger son received his inheritance, lost it all, squandered it all. 40% of the family's estate just gone. 60% remains. And so, who does every robe, every ring, and every fattened calf belong to? Remember what the father says to the older son? Look at verse 31. He says, all that is mine is yours. Right? He just said that everything belongs to the older brother. That's why the older brother was so mad. When the father says, bring the robe, bring bring the ring, uh, whose are they? They belong to the elder brother. Jesus is saying that coming home is extremely costly, and yet it's free. It doesn't cost the younger brother anything, but it does cost 
And yet he leaves out the temple sacrifice. Why? Because of, of who it's pointing to here. See, the only way back for the poor uh, younger brother is at the expense of the older brother. Okay? The older brother in the parable says, you know what? Every robe is mine. Every ring is mine. Every fatted calf is mine. It's all mine, mine, mine. And I will not share it with my brother. And the younger brother... He has, we see that he has a stingy older brother, but Jesus says, you don't. You don't have a stingy older brother that resents your return. There is another older brother. There is a true older brother. And this true older brother never disobeyed. He always obeyed, and he wasn't in it for the money. He loved the Father with absolutely everything in him. He earned the robe. He earned the ring. He absolutely earned it all. But at the very end of his life, what happened to him? They stripped him of his robe and cast lots for it. Instead of the fattened calf, he got vinegar. Instead of the Father's kiss, he was forsaken. Instead of the Father's acceptance and embrace, he was rejected. Why? Because for the, the only reason for you and I to get that is for him to lose it. Salvation is absolutely free, but it is extremely costly. This is not cheap grace. The older brother in the parable says, it's all mine and, and I won't share it with this son of yours. I want him out of here. But Jesus says, come home. I won't be angry. Yeah, it's all mine, but I gladly give it all up for my younger brother. I will give up my robe. I will give up my ring, and I will go into the party and dance for joy because this brother of mine was lost, is now found. He was dead, and he is alive. So if you're looking for an application here, it's really simple. It's come home. If you are a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, come home. Now, here's what I know. In any group, it's very possible that some of you are content prodigals. Things are going great, doing whatever you want, having the time of your life. No worries. But listen, you need to know. You might not believe me now. But hopefully in the future you will think back to today of me telling you that a famine is coming. A famine will hit. You don't believe that right now. You will later when it happens. And I hope you remember today that I told you so. <laughs> I need that. I need people to tell me that. I'm not the first one. I'm not the last. The famine is coming. And I hope that you won't hear it as an arrogant, I told you so, but a loving warning from, a, from, from somebody who, who needs the warning himself. I am no better than anybody else. Things might be going great with work. Things might be going great with your, I don't know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, friends, but I'm telling you, they're not home. And when the famine hits, and it will hit, these things will not satisfy you. They will not save you. In fact, 
what's making you so happy right now will rip you off. It will rip you off. And it will leave you starving. So don't wait. Come home. What are you waiting for? Come home today. Maybe for some of you, the famine already hit. And it, 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 you had a serious wake-up call. Your life is out of control. Things are falling apart. You, try, you realize that you've been ripped off. You realize that you were trying to make a home away from home. And the Father you need to hear this morning is calling you home to rest. He's calling you home to rest. The Father hates the famine more than you do. But he can lovingly use the famine to help you come to your senses. He says, come home. Find your rest. Find your joy. Find your satisfaction. Find your security in me, he says. Last. I want to encourage you to examine your heart and ask yourself, well, am I a Pharisee? Do I look at life through the morality lens? Do I try to earn my father's love or continued acceptance by, by, being, by being good? Now, this, this might sound weird at first, but think about it. Don't let your goodness keep you from home. Okay? How do you know if that's happening? You know that anger that you feel? You know that frustration that, that, that you feel? You know that critical spirit that you have towards other, you, others? You know that lack of joy? They are signs that you're outside in the dark. But listen, I'm telling you right now, Jesus loves Pharisee sinners too. He does. That's why he tells this parable in the first place is because he loves Pharisee sinners too. And he says, come home. Come into the party. Dance with the family and experience the Father's acceptance and embrace. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your truth. We thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the good news. God, I, I, I pray that, that you, by your grace and your mercy, would forgive us for the times when we try to find a home away from being home with you. We turn to so many things other than you for our satisfaction, for our happiness. And God, I pray for, um, for the times when we are perfectly content to be away from home because we're having the time of our lives or we think we're happy. God, I pray that you would protect us in those times. And God, I pray, Lord, that, that when we do get ripped off, you would help us come to our senses to come home to be with you. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would also um, help us come to our senses of being um, like the older brother, like the Pharisees. 
where our value comes from our own performance, our own self-righteousness. Give us, um, by your mercy, eyes to see the sin of our self-righteousness and realize that, that we don't obey you because we love you. We just obey you from what we think that you'll give us so that you owe us. God, I pray, Lord, that that when we come to our senses, we'd just be overwhelmed by your grace and fill our hearts with joy. Fill our hearts with rest. And God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that, is, that does not know you yet as their Heavenly Father, that, that you would give them the faith to believe, the faith to trust you, and realize that, that you are seeking them. God, I pray that you give them courage to follow Jesus this morning and to come into the party. We pray these things in your name.